Well, this is kind of like a, a Christmas, a week before Christmas tradition, and, and Cole and I did this last year. And it was, it was fun. It was fun. Here's what's different, though, um, from, from last year than this year. You, you're like, you're going to be a dad this, I mean, yeah. Three months. Three months. That's crazy. March 9th. March, a lot of people are asking, so that's good. March 9th, and it's a boy. Yes. And you're going to name him? Bash. Bash. Which well, is, which is short, short for Seb Sebastian, but yes. we want to call him Bash. And I... I confess to He's Cole when he told me the baby name, I was like, I think of the Little Mermaid every time I hear the name Sebastian. Anybody with me on that? Little Mermaid? Yeah, okay. He's going to be an absolute menace. Man. He is going to be wait. awesome. I can't wait. I hope Shannon and I have a girl, then we can go ahead and do a pre-arranged marriage. Just arrange the marriage. Absolutely. There we go. Deal. <laughs> this is already going well. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, so, um, so, so this is a lot of fun. One of the reasons I love doing this is because God is not scared of our questions. Um, we're, we're, we're told, I grew up in a church that said, don't ask questions because Job asked questions and God got mad at Job, which is technically not true. Job was self-righteous and, and God rebuked him and it turned out okay for Job, if you read Job 42. So we're gonna go through these questions. We, we honestly have not seen them. We have not screened them. Um, this is all on uh, Ed. Our, he's, he's screening this. So if this goes bad, um, it's blame Ed's Ed. fault. Yep, blame Ed. So we're going to start out with the first question that somebody has texted in, and it is? Wow. That's a you question. Because you're, you know, the leader. <laughs> what do you think second chance will look like in the future? Awesome. Hey, I can, I can tell you this. I can tell you this, and I don't know where this is going to lead, and, and don't leave saying we're going to start this or whatever. I'm going to tell you two things that God has been specifically stirring my heart for that we're going to dive into, um, and this is a God thing. The first thing is uh, I was telling Shannon on the way to church this morning that I get two or three calls from pastors across the nation about every week going, hey, man. I'm in the same boat that you were in. How do I, is there hope for me? And so I think that one of the things that God wants to use our church to, to do is, is keep some people in the game that need to be in the game. Um, because all the people standing on the sideline and screaming unqualified at people aren't doing anything. So, so it's up to us, I think. And the second thing, and this is something Cole and I have talked about a lot, um, because of what I've experienced in, in my life, um, I want our church to, and listen, I'm not saying we're starting this immediately. Just give us some time, okay? But I feel like we, are, we have a mandate on our church to, to step into the addiction world and really help people that are struggling with addiction. And it's not, it's not going to be AA, and it's not going to be Celebrate Recovery, and it's not going to be 12-step. It's going to be unique to Second Chance. I don't, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm trying to get involved in something and help people take tangible physical, emotional, and spiritual steps forward. And so that's all I know. That's all. So if you leave here going, we're starting an addiction ministry next week. No, we're not. But I'm telling you, something's coming, and I don't know what that looks like. Yeah, so. dude, back to your first point. I love, we've spent so much time talking about how there are so many people out there that should be in ministry that have been fired, canceled, 
called unqualified and, and those people are out there but not working in church or not doing ministry and that's what they were born to do. And I love that, dude. That excites me. That well, the population in the world is increasing. We need more people to reach more people. Amen? Amen. All right. So, yeah, it's great, great. Good question. Next question. Let's go. I don't know. They don't. <laughs> it's a pretty small dinosaur. <laughs> they don't. Um, so here, here's the answer to that question. Uh, I, think, I think dinosaurs, so let me pause. I met a guy one time, he was a Christian, and he thinks dinosaurs were completely made up by the secular world. And I'm like, ah. Where'd the bones come from? Yeah, well, he had a, but, but I, I, I just told him to go watch Jurassic Park. Um, the, the Bible says that God made animals. He, he doesn't list all the animals. He doesn't list all the animals. Like, you know, orangutan is not in, in the Bible. I'm not sure cat's in the Bible. It's in the satanic Bible, but not this. I mean, but I'm, a, so just because a, a, a species isn't specifically named doesn't mean, so that's, that's my answer. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm kind of glad that we don't have to deal with the dinosaurs right now, personally, just me. I don't know how they got extinct, but I'm glad they're not here because I mean, Clemson Boulevard is already bad enough. Can you imagine having to deal with like a T-Rex while you're driving down Clemson Boulevard? All right. Next question. Let's go. Let's go. My parents have been separated without a divorce for six months now. What would you say to my parents or me as someone who struggles with the situation? God, Cole, I don't know. What do you think? This is the child of the parents. Yeah. Yeah. The child of the parent. So as a student, as a student pastor, what would you say to the child? I mean, it's hard. This is, uh, so many of our, our students and just so many people and young people in general, um, I, I'm going to say like are victims of divorce. And divorce is messy, y'all. So messy. Um, and I would, just, I would say to the parent, like, first off, I, I think divorce, it, it's so, and I've never been divorced, so I guess I'm not speaking from experience, but divorce can be such a selfish thing. Like, it, it, in the moment, I'm guessing it's all about like how I feel with my spouse and all that stuff. And I would just encourage you as a parent to just stop and maybe think about your children as well in that because it's so messy and so uh, painful for kids. Um, and for the kids, like th this is hard sometimes in these situations because the answer is, is clear, like honor your father and mother, right? Honor your father and mother, always. But in those situations, it's, it's not black and white. It's hard to navigate those things. It's very gray. And so I would say it's based on situation to situation. Like, it's hard for me to give general advice for a very specific situation that I would, you know, I would sit down. I would ask how the parents were. I would, you know, ask about your family situation. Does mom live in another state? You know what I mean? Like, I, for me, it's very situation to situation. Exactly. And I would, first of all, I mean, and I'm, divorce sucks. It does. Whether, whether it, it brings about uh, some sort of relief, it's still messy. Um, you can ask any divorced person, that's, or you can ask anyone that's ever gone through divorce, and none of them will say it was the best thing they've ever experienced. Um, so anybody that's on the verge of divorce, at, I would say whatever it, like, is there any way to work this out? Because it's a it's that thing that you carry. It's that little thing that kind of sneaks in your, the back of your mind every once in a while. 
That's what I would say to the parents is, that there, is there any way, is there any way to work it out? Because um, what you think is going to be a relief actually many times isn't the relief you think is looking, looking, you're, you're looking for. But like Cole said, it's so situational. It really is. Um, great question. Next question. Next question. How did you get sober? Ooh. I've been trying for a year and failing miserably. That's a good question. Um, you want to go first? Yeah, yeah, I do. You want me to go first? I'm ready. Do it. So this is, so when I, especially with young people, this is, this is like my first path that I take with, with any addiction, whether it's porn, drugs, alcohol, what, whatever it might be is I, I usually say, who, is the, who would be the hardest person for you to tell? Who's the person in your life It would be the hardest person to come clean to? And the, you know, as for a young person, it's, it's usually like my dad or my mom or you know, whoever they say. And I say, tell that person. Because what, happen, like, what happens is oftentimes you know, we'll sit, stand up here and preach like, we have to come clean. You know, we have to confess to somebody. Like, go talk to somebody. And what we'll do is we'll actually, a lot of times, we'll go find the easiest person to tell. And, and the problem with that is the easiest person to tell hardly ever has the power to, to help you, actually. Right. So when, when I actually go, like, let's, again, let's say I'm a young person, and I'm, this is what I do. I speak to young people. Is if I go and tell my best friend at school that I'm struggling with porn, he can't, he didn't, he can't do anything about it. But if I tell my dad, he can do something about it. And so that's usually the first thing I say is, is go find the hardest person to talk to and, and tell them. And then after that, I would say get people involved, get counseling, you know, it, always keep in mind, like falling down doesn't mean you're, you're a screw up. Like I think for alcoholism, the average is like seven relapses before you get it, which is scary, but also like <laughs> comforting to know like, oh, if I have gone six months and screw up, like it's not the end of the world for me. That's, that's what I would say. Yeah. I, the first question I would ask, and this is the one I always ask, and only you can answer it, is do you want to get sober? Like, like that's the thing to say, but do you want it? Because until you want it, it's not going to happen. It doesn't matter how bad your wife wants it or your husband wants it or your kids want it or your, or your friends want it. Until you want, like you want it. And for me, it wasn't, rehab was great, but it wasn't rehab that, that got me. It was Labor Day 2016. Now, I'm going to go ahead and help you because somebody on Facebook one time, I was talking about this, they said, well, I did the math, and this was after you got out of rehab. Yes, this was after I got out of rehab. I got, I got so drunk that I blacked out. And I woke up the next morning, and I realized how much control I had lost and at, that was the point I said, never again, never again. Is it? But, but it comes back around to that story about the prodigal son, where Jesus specifically says in Luke 15, when he came to his senses. So, so you got to want it. If you, if you are struggling with an addiction, you got to want it as much as you want your next breath. And that's the first step. It, that, that doesn't make it better, but that's the first step to getting better. Yeah, and dude, I'll, uh, just to add to that a little bit too, I've had a couple of people that have come to me in the last probably couple months that have said, I have a, a friend or a family member that's, that's not doing well. And, I, I don't, and this is always hard for me because I, I have to explain to these people, like, you can't make somebody 
quit. You can't. And that sucks. I wish you could sometimes. But oftentimes all you can do is, is love and be there and listen and pray until that person wants to, wants to be sober. And that's a hard reality to learn, but it's true. Yeah, I've had people ask me, will you call my brother? I, this lady, will you call my brother? He's an alcoholic. This is my question. Does your brother want to talk to me? No. Well, then I'm not calling him. Like, I'm, I, am, I am Perry. I'm not Harry Potter. I can't make him, like, like want to. I can't cast a spell on him, right? So um, it, they've got to want it for themselves. So that's a great question. Next question. Let's go. Let's go. What drives your heart to want to be a pastor? <laughs> um, it's a calling. It's a calling. And, and this is why. I was talking to somebody about this two nights ago. One out of 10 people that start in ministry, finish in ministry. They either burn out, quit, or get to squat. Like what they don't fit. It would be like, let's go skydiving today. There's 10 of us. One of our parachutes are going to work. Nobody's like, I'm not, all right. I'm not going on that trip. <laughs> no, no, nobody wants to be on that trip. Nope. So the thing that drives me, it's literally the only thing I can do. I can't do anything else. I can't build, and it's not because I look down on builders. I suck at building. I can't sell stuff. I tried to do that. I sold some stuff, and I hated it. Um, ministry stuff. I didn't sell any drugs. Um, I, I, I actually have sold drugs, but that was before I knew Christ. It's a whole different story. Um, I, like everything, I've, like I, there, I can't shut this off. I, ca I can't shut my heart. I can't stop loving and caring about people. And so the thing that drives my heart is I know I'm called. Like I know that I'm called. Like I know it. Like I know it. This, it's the only thing that gets me out of bed and gets me going and gets me fired up is because I know I get to come here. There's not a Sunday that I don't pull in this parking lot and look at that church sign that I don't say, thank you, Jesus. I get to do this again because I know I'm called to do it. That's what drives my heart. That's what drives my heart. And I love you guys. I do. I, I love this. I love this church. Yeah. I, I'm fired up. Cole, yeah, you got I, anything? Yes, I'm basically, I think I might end up saying the exact same thing, but just with different words. But I remember when I was in college, we were in a ministry class, and my professor looked at us, and he said, guys, the statistics for this is they're not good. He said 80% of people will burn out within the first five years. 80% of pastors will burn out in the first five years. And that's just like... <laughs> The li people are hard to work with. Like, people are difficult. I think I said this last year. The hardest part of ministry is the people. Um, but I love y'all. But it's hard. There's not a lot of, you know, you don't get paid a ton. You know, it's just, there's a lot of issues with that. But for me, I can't do anything else. I tried once. I didn't know what to do. I was going to go sell something too, maybe. And I just couldn't, I can't not be in the church waking up every morning knowing that my mission is to help more people find Jesus and grow to know him more. That's all, that's all I can do. So that's what drives me. I was born for it. Yep. Great question. Thank you so much. Next, next question. What do you think is the main issue teens face now? Marriages? Wait, like teens are getting married? I don't know. <laughs> I think it means let's, let's teens just do this. and then Let's marriage. just do this one. What's okay. the main issue teens are face now? Wow. Um, I think I'm going to sound like a broken record. With this, I think the phone thing is really, really bad. Um, 
it's here's where here's where I do struggle with this. Like there, this is a two-sided coin because on one hand, we you know we want to move forward with the world. Like I'm, I don't want to be the, like the Amish man in a hundred years, like still driving horse and buggy. Like that's stupid, right? We 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 move forward with the world, but also we have to manage the pain that these new technologies can cause. And so, like I, I truly do, I think not only just social media, but just the immediate, the immediate, like, I wake up in the morning and I instantly look at this thing. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it takes me out of real life so easily. And I see, like, even, what well, 11 years ago now, I was in high school and, like, what I did, I went and hung out with my friends. Like, I would go to school, go home, or go to, go to practice, go home, eat food, and then instantly out the door to go see my friends. People don't hang out really anymore. This is how they hang out. And so, like, for me, that's, that's been uh, tough to navigate. <laughs> um, w- along with that comes, you know, mental health issues, anxiety, depression, suicide problems. I could go on for a long time about this, but I, I-, I do think a lot of it has to do with the phone. And that's something I'm tr- really constantly trying to battle against. I, I echo that. Um, if you're around my age, I'm, I'm 51. We grew up clueless as to what was going on in the world. Like, if there was an earthquake in India, we, we didn't know. Like, we just didn't know. Um, I remember when my dad turned the news on, because it came on, like, at 6 and 11. And the 6 o'clock news, I'm like, oh, God, here we go again. Like, I hated it. And now we've got news coming at us every direction, and it's, none of it's good. Like, no, so teenagers today are facing an overwhelming tsunami of bad news flooding at them in every single direction and and I think one of the biggest thing one of the biggest challenges that our teenagers are going to have to learn to overcome and they can learn and they will overcome I believe this is learning how to just even if it's 30 minutes 45 minutes a day with no just just sitting and reading a a paper bible and and listening to God and disconnecting from everything else can bring way more peace in your life than you ever imagined. Yeah, so. I mean, even this last week, I talked about, we talked about noise. Like, there's just so much noise, like, in life. Busyness, like, worry. What is it, what kind of clothes are other people wearing? Like, so much noise. And I think that the biggest issue when it comes to teenagers and knowing God is, is how do I combat that noise for even just a little bit in my day? And so, like, even, I, I just say every single morning, like, even if you just put the phone down 10 minutes, you don't even, like, I, I'm not, not even just reading the Bible, but just maybe, like, just being still. Like, God calls us to, to be still. He asks us to be still. And, and, and I think oftentimes that's what Jesus did. He would retreat, and he would just be still and listen to the voice of the Lord. And, and I think that's one of the biggest issues today is the noise. That's one of my favorite things about Jesus. I, I read the Bible different. And it's so funny if you just read through and read the times that he got away from the crowds. Like, because that was the phone back then. So Jesus is like doing a miracle and everybody's crowding around him. He's like, all right, guys, I'm just going to sneak. Hey, Thomas, step over here, start a conversation. I'm going to sneak out in the boat. In fact, I don't even need a boat. I'm just going to walk. And, and so I, I just, I just, Jesus got away from the crowds and he just kind of refreshed himself. I love it. That's a great answer. I, I don't know why I'm standing. Next question. You got excited. Why do you think God allows some churches to explode in growth like Second Chance while the average church in America has an average of 50 or less? Actually, it's 75 or less. Um, 
how can we change that narrative? We can't. We can't. Here's why. We are responsible for second chance. That's it. And you can't manufacture this. Um, why do I think God allows some churches to explode in growth like Second Chance while the average church in America has average 50, 75 or whatever? Um, I think, and this is just me, and this isn't just me tooting my horn, I think it has to do with leadership. Not just the senior pastor, but the people, the staff, a desire. Listen, I think one of the reasons that Second Chance is growing is we've got one focus, and that's to get as many people into heaven as possible. We, I, want, I want Anderson, South Carolina. Hold up. I want Anderson, South Carolina to be the most difficult place on the planet for somebody to go to hell. Ooh, That's what I want. And, and you know what? We don't have 47 committees that have to meet to decide what kind of communion wafers we're going to offer on a Sunday. If you've ever been in a church, you know how it works. The reason we're moving forward is because people walk in this church expecting God to move, expecting people to meet Jesus, and we are expecting to take another step closer in our relationship with Jesus. That's what we're responsible for, and that's what we're going to do. As long as I have air in my lungs, this will be a place where people meet Jesus, period. Come on. So, I'm sorry, I got Hey, I got man, sit up. down. You're going no, crazy. <laughs> also, can I add to that? Two things I would say. Number one, I would agree, leadership. And I'll just say this, guys. This man is an amazing leader. He's not scared to take risks. He loves Jesus. He's good at what he does. And I love working for him. But two, I also think that the blessing of God matters a lot. And what's crazy is, especially at this church, under that dude, is every time we've faced any sort of challenge, opposition whatsoever, we're met with the, with the answer. We're met with a blessing. When we don't know what's coming next, God provides the way. Every single time. And at this point, I'm like, man, why, do I, why am I even showing up to work? Like, he's just doing it all anyway. <laughs> like, and, and so, like, for us, I, I do. I think it's twofold. I think it's him and the fact that Jesus loves you, dude. And the other, the other thing is, this is what I always tell people, God works through people who work. So it's, it's, not, just, it's not just our staff, it's our volunteers. Um, it's, God works through, when, when, when a church is growing and people go, it's all God. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because if it was all God, every church on the planet would be growing. It's all God working through people who are willing to submit to him. Yep. That's what works. Listen, I've worked at a few churches, too, in my life. This church has the greatest volunteers I've ever seen in my life, and I swear I mean that. The greatest volunteers. The greatest volunteers ever. I'm serious. I agree. Man. I agree. Next question. Next question. How are soldiers given forgiveness for taking the life of another during combat? Combat. Whoa. You pulling out your Bible. I am. Some good stuff in this book. Yeah, you go. Well, I'm finding the verse. Get you a verse, man. Exodus 20. Um, you, you must not murder. It's what the Bible said in Exodus 20, 13. You must not murder. Like you must not, you know, like the, the mass shootings or the murders that we see are, dear God, just Chicago on a weekend. I mean, that's like premeditated cold-blooded murder but there's a difference between murder like murder and then the taking of a life 
A soldier has a responsibility under the authority of the government. So the United States government, if you're a veteran, if you've been in any war, whether it was um, Iraq, um, whether it was uh, Afghanistan, um, Vietnam, uh, maybe we got a World War II veteran in here or two, you, you were under the authority of the government of the United States. And there's a difference between cold-blooded murder and then defending a nation in, in, in the name of freedom. Strength does us no good if it's never used to defeat something that would hurt, harm, or kill other people if it's not stopped. And so at the end of the day, the reason that, that you're forgiven, and I know there's some veterans in the room that wrestle with this, the reason you're forgiven is because when the Bible says you shall not murder, it, 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 they're not talking to soldiers. In fact, there's, there are passages in Scripture that tell soldiers actually how to, how to fight in battle. David, a man after God's own heart, was also a soldier. He killed a lot of people. And he did. He killed, I mean, he did. And so at the end of the day, there, there's a difference between premeditated murder and then serving somebody's country in the name of freedom to defend that nation from just horrible things happening to it. Yeah. So I, the Bible's split into two parts. Many of you know Old Testament and New Testament. And what we see in the Old Testament is a, a God that leads a nation. Okay. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus speak to really in individuals, individually. This is what God wants to do in your heart, your relationship with him. But in the Old Testament, what you see is like, if you've ever read the book of Joshua, like it's kind of hard because they're just going from city to city and God says, kill everybody, which is difficult to read. And, and kind of how I've kind of reconciled this is in the Old Testament, like there's a God that leads nation, a nation. And in the New Testament, there's a God that leads an individual. And individually, Jesus says, you know, obviously don't murder, don't kill people. But the way God leads a, led a nation was differently. And I think that can be found here in this sort of question is like how God views what a nation does is different than what I do individually. If I choose to go murder somebody on my own time for fun, like, that's really bad. <laughs> but when you're a soldier, I think that's much different. For, for, let's just take World War II for an example. For, for somebody to have sat back and watched Hitler, who was, if, if he wasn't demon-possessed, he was actually possessed by Satan. It was one or the other. Um, to just let him do what he wanted to do would not have been love. It would not have been love. Love sometimes has to stand up and say, not on my watch, no more. Amen. So it's good, man. Good. Next question. How does someone differentiate between their own thoughts and God speaking Ooh. to them? Oh, that's e easy. If it contradicts this, it's not God. God's word and God's will hold hands. So if it contradicts the word of God, it's not the will of God. Yeah, I, there's, I think one of the, the big problems in today's world is that we, we don't do a great job of differentiating between the three voices in our head. We've got the enemy, us, God. And oftentimes we will, I, I've seen people call a thought from the enemy a thought from God or 
a thought from God, a thought from them. You know, like we have to be able to, this is a, a, honestly a skill that has to be uh, practiced and worked into, into place. Um, and oftentimes, like I even said this last Wednesday, uh, to young people that are trying to learn how to like, you know, we stand up here, we're like, we, I think I heard from God. And they're like, what the heck does that mean? And, and I just said like, man, once, when you start hearing from God, it, it's usually things like, I love you. I think about you. I'm crazy about you. Like, God, I don't think will ever, he's never going to say anything, like, mean to you because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He's not, he, he will never, like, condemn you. <laughs> and if you ever feel condemned by God, you're calling the wrong voice. You're calling the voice of God something different than what it is. It's not the voice of God. It's the voice of the enemy. And so I do, I think we need to really like, again, back to that noise thing, I think we, we have to work on like being quiet and learning to hear God speak to us when he's speaking to us. Because oftentimes he'll tell, he'll tell us things that we wouldn't even think of on our own. You know what I mean? That's another thing I do is, is sometimes I'm like, man, was that me or God? I think, would I have said that? No. Well, maybe that was probably God then. <laughs> you know? So. I like that. It's great. Next question. Thank you. That's all. Whoa. Okay, hold on. This is uh, actually a paragraph. I have been through a lot of hell in my whole life. I have fought my whole life to overcome battles and traumas. I seek Jesus daily and on a healing journey, but my past tends to keep me from seeing and accepting a new reality in certain areas of my life. What can I do to help myself from letting the past try and steal the good I have now? Um... I got a little experience with this one, just a touch. I can just go ahead and tell you, the only reason your past is defeating you today is because you let it, period. Now, this is tough love, but I want you to listen to me. Just about everybody in this room has something in our past that we don't want anybody to know about. The thing is, Satan knows everything about it. I, get, I, I understand trauma. I understand doing things that you wish you wouldn't have done. I understand having things done to you that you wish weren't done to you. But I've got to choose today. Today I'm going to walk in victory. Today, because of the power of Jesus who rose from the dead, who lives in me, that's why I can not, I don't get up and, and look in the mirror every morning and tell myself how awesome I am, okay? I'm not trying to be Oprah. I'm trying to follow Jesus. And so when I get up and look in the mirror every single day, I'm like, but for the grace of God, I would be so lost right now. But for the grace of God, though, I'm not going to say I'm such a horrible person because five years ago, six years ago, 10 years ago, that is, that is, that has been covered by the blood of Jesus, and if I focus on my past, I can't see my future, which God has told me is immeasurably more than all I can ask or imagine. So at the end of the day, the only reason that our past keeps beating us is we keep letting it. Mm. That's good, man. It's true. It's good. I love, I love the story of David and Goliath, and there's a, there's basically what happens is David is walking to the camp where his, his brothers are. And it says when he gets to the edge of the camp, he leaves his baggage with the baggage keeper. And it's, it's really cool to me. David actually has to get rid of his baggage before he can, he can go kill a giant. 
And I think there are a lot of people. Come that, on, that Cole. Want, yeah, this is good. There are a lot of people that want to kill a giant in their life, but they won't let go of their baggage. Dang. Yeah. I should have stood up for that one. That was good. You spike the mic or something, man. That and forgiveness, I think, is a key, too. Yeah, forgiving yourself. Yeah. All right, next question. What would you tell someone that has done so much damage in life and hurt a lot of people? How would you tell them to let go, pass? Same answer. Yeah. Same answer. Same answer. Same answer. Next question. Ooh. I like this. Yeah. You've been married longer than me. <laughs> you should. Let me teach you something, Perry. Please do. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I, one, really good communication. Uh, I think where there's a lack of communication, that's where things like confusion, distrust, doubt, all that stuff thrives. Um, but two, I think the, the number one key to every good marriage is submission. Um, and I, I tell this every wedding I ever do, every like when I sit there and I marry two people, I, I, I tell them like if, if there's not mutual submission, if I'm not constantly laying down myself for my wife and she's not doing that for me on a daily basis, that's where the conflict starts to come in. And I think it's when we start to choose me over we that that's when things start to, to go poorly. Is, is when I want what I want and I don't care what you want, that, you know, that's when marriages start to go bad. But it's when I can sac it's, it's, it's exactly what Jesus did and what Jesus told us. You know, lay down your life for the sake of another person and watch. You, not only will your marriage be good, but it'll be fun. I think there's so many people that have this belief that marriage is not like good and oh, you know, I remember when I was engaged, people were like, oh gosh, you know, like act like I sold my soul, sold my soul to the devil or something like <laughs> I love being married, man. It's, these, are the, these are the best days of my life doing it with, my, with Addie, my wife. And I think it's because, and this is not me bragging, but we've done a great job of doing this mutual submission thing. I'm not, screw being selfish, man. Like, it's not even worth it. It's more fun to be selfless. All right, so I'm in my second marriage. Most of you know that. And um, Shannon and I have been married about a year and a half. And I'll tell you the thing that works for us, and, and, and it truly is amazing. Um, it, for those of you that are on a second marriage, you understand this as well. I mean, second marriage doesn't mean second class at all whatsoever. Um, she's the love of my life, she's my best friend, and for us it's communication, like honest communication, and the second thing is like not holding things in, not holding things back, like just being honest and open and talking about it in a calm manner. And when we can't be calm, because surprisingly, both of us are highly emotional people, we have learned to say, hey, let's take five minutes, chill, and then come back and have the conversation. And that works most of the, most of the time, most of the time. And then, and then the third is she finally understands that I'm just right. <laughs> I'm just kidding, baby. Next question. You're in trouble. Oh. Yes, is the answer. I, yeah. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe Jesus when he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I, I think he, he, Jesus is not messing around when he says that. And I think it, the call for us to, to love our enemies and, and actually pray blessing over the people that have persecuted us is, is so strong. And I have people ask me, how do I forgive people? How do I forgive somebody that's hurt me in the past? Pray for them every day. Like, 
pray for blessing in their life. And that's freaking hard to do. Hard. But I, I promise you, if you're struggling to forgive somebody and you start committing, I'm going to actually just, I'm going to say a quick prayer for them every day. You'll realize over time, you actually begin to start to, to free them of the debt that they owe you. Amen, Cole. Amen. It's too late. It's too late. Ask yourself the question, do you want somebody to pray for you to suffer? Ooh. So if you don't want it for you, don't do it to somebody else. Next question. Um, hold on. Wait. What would you do when God has asked you to be a part of someone's life, but they won't speak to you? Stop stalking them. How, how many girls, when you read that, you went, oh, my God, that's a guy that sent that question in. I mean, it's a, li literally, if, if, listen, if God spoke it to you, then God's going to speak it to them. And if God doesn't speak it to them, he didn't speak it to you. It was hormones, not the Holy Spirit. Push the pause button. Stop stalking. But God called me to marry her. Yes. <laughs> and if he did, she, he's going to tell her. She will <laughs> not miss it. Stop stalking. I love that. All right. Next I question. have nothing to add. No, yeah. Next question. Next question. How can I know I'm living for Jesus correctly as an individual and as a leader for my significant other? Jesus says, I don't, in John, I can't remember the exact, he said, uh, you, you will be my friends if you obey my commands. You'll be my friend if you obey my commands. And I think, like, if people, if, if you want to ask yourself, like, am I following Jesus correctly? I would, Jesus said, you will obey my commands. So am I, if, in my life, it, 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 Cole, am I following Jesus good? Well, am I obeying? Am I doing what he's asked me to do? And I think it's very simple. It's a very simple answer, but I think that's a very deep uh, heart question that we all have to kind of wrestle with ourselves is, am I actually, is, is, am I doing what God has asked me to do? And in that, you will, if, if you're doing what God's asked you to do, you'll notice that you're leading your spouse well. You'll notice that things at your job are, are, are going well. Things like your, your life will actually be a reflection of, of you doing what God has commanded. I just listen to Jesus do what he says on a daily yeah. basis. This is a daily thing. This is a daily thing. This is a, a daily thing. And we're going to do about three more. Three more questions and give us, give us, some, give us some questions. Some bangers. Yeah, yeah. Three more questions. Here we go. What is the best way to help a lost family member find their way back to Jesus without possibly pushing them further away Ooh. by doing so? Hello. Tell them I say hey. <laughs> Um, honestly, the, the, the best way is just to be there for them. Let them know, listen, I mean, this is, I've had this conversation with people. I know you're not ready to give your life to Christ. I know you're not ready to surrender. I know you're not ready for all that. Here's what I want you to know. I'm your friend and there will come a time when you're ready. And when you're ready, just, just tell me and I won't judge anything that you've done. I'll just be here for you and we'll walk through and I'll help you get where you need to be. That's the best thing you can do. Yeah. I would say it's very, very simple. Love is the magnet. Love is, the, love is, is what draws, whether it's a family member, friend, kid, whatever. You can never, back to, like, kind of back to what we were talking about with the addiction thing, you can never decide for somebody else, but you can love them really freaking well. Yeah. And 
I, it's, I, I have heard so many stories of people in here that were like, man, I saw somebody that they were different and I wanted what they had. They were sober. They were free. They got out of debt. They, their marriage was saved and I wanted that too. And that person loved me. So I, maybe I started coming to church. I started following Jesus. And so like I, I would say, you know, Jesus also says they will know you're my disciples by the way that you love, by the way you love people. By the way, that you love each other. And I, I think, again, love is the magnet. 100%. 100%. Next question. Two more. What does the Bible say about interracial? Oh, my gosh. Why am black? Is this wrong? This is going on with someone near to my heart, and I'm struggling with my feelings and acceptance. I was raised a certain way, and I'm trying to search the Bible for answers on this. Dude, you got to answer this one. I don't, I've never understood why this is even a question, to be Welcome honest with Welcome to you. the South, Cole. I, yeah, I, like I came South and this, uh, yeah, I'll let you go. The fact that somebody has to ask this question in today's society is mind-blowing to me. It's sad. It's mind-blowing. It's, should white people date black people? Should black people date white people? And, and it's usually some self-righteous white person asking this. Now, listen, don't come at me with black people do it to, I'm white. I can speak for white people. <laughs> I am a white man. I can speak for white men, okay? Um, I can go ahead. The first thing I ask every white person that asks me this question is how do you know that you're white? It's you don't even question. know the name of your great, 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 great grandfather. How do you know he was white? How do you know? Well, I went on Ancestry.com. Oh, yeah, I trust that. You, you, so a, a website told you. That's amazing. When, when, when God sees people, he, he sees the heart, period. And, and the fact that we're still asking this question in today's society is, is mind-blowing. I know, I, know, I know people that would... They're, rather their daughter date a piece of white trash than date a godly black man that loves Jesus. And that is, that's heartbreaking. And by the way, all, you know what the other thing I've noticed about men that are super racist? That they all love football. And they'll go to a football, they'll go to a football field and they, they will cheer for people of all different colors on that football field, but they wouldn't have the people on that football field in their home which is a problem. I'm just saying when, when, when God looks at somebody, God looks at their heart. And at the end of the day, I have a daughter and what I pray for her is that she would fall in love with a man who has a heart that's fully devoted to Jesus. That's what I want. When she's 37. Do what? When she's 37. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, how do you know you're white? Huh? How do you know you're white? How do I? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I've never I, heard that question in my life. You don't know you're white? I, you don't know. I guess I don't. You have no idea. What's your great, 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 great grandfather's name? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. Now, I know. Listen, there's always somebody Jesus. in here that they're going to, yes, yes. There's somebody in here that's going to go home and email me. I know. Okay. Congratulations. If you're racist, you, that's un, racism is ungodly, period. On any side, either way, racism is ungodly. 
And by the way, while we're here, I am sick and tired of government officials telling me who I need to love and who I need to hate. I don't know if you're there or not, but everything on the planet isn't a matter of race. And the people that are always trying to make it a matter of race, it actually screams about something insecure in their own lives. I'm, I want this to be a church for all people, period. All people. When you walk in that door, I don't... I don't care what color you are. I, I just, how dare we judge someone on, by, on the content of uh, the, the melanin content in their skin? You know? You should have stood up for that. And, and that the was other good. thing is, the other thing is, I love it when racist white people, every summer, they're trying to get a tan. Keep going. You're on a roll. No, it's true. I don't like black people, but I'm going to lay out in the sun and get a tan. You ra you're racist. You're, you're not just a racist. You're a dumb racist. That's the problem. So, sorry. Anyway, I had to get on. No, there's... Amen. All right. Last, last question. A few weeks ago in a sermon, you gave the example about the number line of Christianity saying, once you are saved, you can't ever go back into the negative, but I still feel like I have messed up so much. Am I still really saved a Christian? Um, yes. And, and let me tell you why I'm going to, let me tell you why I said yes so fast and I don't even know who you are. Because you asked the question. See, if you're not a Christian, you don't ask these questions. You don't worry about it. But I love the root of the question. So last past few weeks, I've had a chart. The negative, then zeros where we get zeroed out. Our sin and our, our just paid for. And the positive side, I said, once you go on the positive side, you can never go on the negative side. Now, there are some people, there's some denominations that actually teach you can lose your salvation. But I don't believe that. And I don't believe the Bible teaches that. Now, there are godly people that would disagree with me on that. And that's fine. I'm not here to start a fight. I'm just here to tell you what I think the Bible says. I just ask a very simple question. How many sins did it take to separate Adam and Eve from God. How many times did they sin? One time. They sinned one time and it separated them. So if one sin separated them, then how could we think that one sin, if re-separation was possible? If, how, why would we think that one sin, if one sin separated Adam and Eve, then just based on that logic, one sin could re-separate us from God, which means we would need to get saved about every 30 to 45 seconds, depending on traffic. When you become a Christian, when you become a Christian, when you give your life to Christ, you're, you, you become a son or a daughter. When the prodigal son left home, when the prodigal son walked away, did he ever cease to be the son? No, the fellowship was damaged, but the relationship was never in question. Because when the son decided to come home, the father ran to him and didn't make him do anything, try harder or do more. He accepted him even though he was covered in the filth of the pigs. Once we sin, if we become a Christian and we're walking with Christ and we have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter moment, and we become aware of it, that's us coming to our senses. And you know what, you know what else that is? That's God telling you, hey, I know what you've done. I know where you've been. It's time to come home.
it's time to come home. And maybe that's what he's going to do in somebody's life this morning. He's saying to you, it's time to come home. I can think of no better time than to come back to him than today. So with that in mind, can we stand for prayer? And with heads bowed and eyes closed right now all over this room, I just want you to ask, God, what, what would you have me to do with what I've heard today? What would you have me to do with the, the messages that have been preached? God, what would you want of me? God, how would you want me to respond? What do I, do I need to confess a sin? Do I need to confess an addiction? Do I need to ask for help? If so, our care room, our care team's available and you can step out of your aisle and walk out the back doors right now. Maybe you're here today and you've wandered away and it's time to come back to Jesus and you need to come back to Christ. Maybe it's time to give your life to Christ. I don't know what it is, but I'm just praying right now that we would make room over these next few moments together. So Father, right now I pray that we would be so conscious and aware of your presence and God, that we would make room so you could speak in our lives. Just ask him to talk to you right now. Ask him to speak. Jesus, I pray that that would be the cry of our heart today, that we would just make room. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, this is what I know. The gospel has been preached and proclaimed, and there's somebody here today that needs to give your life to Christ. You walked in here, it's been a casual Sunday, but during this, during this message time, during the music, God stirs your heart, and you know that you need to give your life to Jesus, and I want to invite you to do that today. I want to invite you right where you stand to pray and ask Christ to come in your life, and I want to ask you to pray it out loud. So right now, all over this room, if you need to pray and ask Christ to come in your life, our Second Chance family is going to pray it with you. We pray this with you every week, so you don't have to pray it alone. So Second Chance family, let's get ready to pray this out loud, and if you need Christ, you pray this out loud with us. Just say, Dear Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I need you in my life. I believe you died on the cross and paid for my sins to save me. And right now, Jesus, I am yours. Take everything. In Jesus' name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just asked Christ to come into your life today, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to hold your hand in the air and I want you to hold it up high because I want to pray for you. I want to I celebrate with you. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. All over the room. All over the room. Father, I want to thank you for these hands that I've seen in the air today. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you have saved people this morning. I want to thank you that you've met us where we are. I pray as we walk out of this room today, God, that we would make room for you, not just for the rest of the day, but all week long, we would say, God, here I am. Do what you want to do in me. I want to walk in a surrendered way. I want to live for you. I want to honor you. I want to, I want to be blessed by you. Father, use me any way you see fit. We love you, Jesus. Everybody that agree with this prayer said, amen and amen. Are you glad you came to church today? Me too. I'll see y'all at Christmas. Have a good one. God bless.